following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Choose this day whom you will serve, whether yourself or the Lord. Give him your heart, his call you've heard. Give it all to the Lord. Choose this day whom you will serve, whether yourself or the him your heart his call you've heard give it all to the Lord his steadfast love will never leave you his mercy's new every day Today's sermon is pre-recorded. The word the Lord has asked me to share with you is entitled Assembly Oneness. Let's pray. Lord, I cannot share the revelation you have put in my heart if you don't come and quicken my heart by the power of the Spirit 
and speak through me. Lord, let Ray Greenlee just be in the shadow. And Jesus, step forward, please, as the head of your body, and speak to us now your word. Thank you, Jesus. I stand by faith that you will give the same revelation to my brothers and sisters that you have given to me, and that we will be unified as one in that revelation. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Now, in the past, even we who are a part of the National Prayer Chapel have functioned much like the world. You know what I mean. Let's see. It's three o'clock. Do I have time to stop off at the grocery store on my way home? Yeah, I've got a couple minutes. I think I'll, I'll grab some food. Or do I have time to stop at Burger King on my way home tonight? I'm hungry. No, I don't have time. I'm going to have to go hungry this time. So I'm always talking about what can I grab and add to my life so that I can have a fulfilled life. And then, of course, what responsibilities do I have that I have to do or I die? And so we look through the eyes of the world at the church and we say, do I have time to catch church today? Or does the grass have to get mown? Do I have time to catch church today? No, I don't have time to catch prayer, but I can catch praise and worship. So I'll go grab what I can grab so I can have a little bit of solace in my soul. And I can say, I punched the button, I was there, the ticket's done. Now God bless me all week as I go about my worldly work. And the Lord is saying to me that only pagans think that way. The unconverted think that way. The converted don't look at it that way. Now, I want to walk with you through the model church in Acts. The book of Acts describes for us in detail what the model of church looks like and acts like. It defines what the church is and what the church is not. And we need to bring our definitions in line with the Word's definition. For most of us, most of our lives, the church has been somewhere we went. It's been somewhere we've gone to. The church is a building we go to. We go to work. We go to the grocery store. We go to the health club. We go to the gas station. We go to the airport. We go to church. Pagans think that way. The body of Christ doesn't think that way. And we have excluded ourselves from the Holy Spirit by thinking in those terms. Our thinking has to be adjusted. And that's what the model does. Ever work construction? Some of you guys, you have, and you want to frame a house, and you, have, you don't want to 
do each part. Instead, you want to jig out a, a model. And then you're going to lay it in that model. This is the model. Let's begin in chapter 1. Jesus is speaking to the church. The church in the Greek means the called out ones. Ecclesia. The Greeks would have their great town meetings where democracy was beginning to be birthed. And they would have what they called ecclesias, church. And the writers of the New Testament adopted this called out figure. Jesus adopted this called out figure. And he said, that's what I'm going to name this entity that I'm going to birth into the world. There's another word that we need to use. It tells us something else. Ecclesia is also the assembly, the assembled ones. We're accustomed to assembling at work. We're accustomed to assembling in all kinds of places. And where we assemble, that is our church. And some who call themselves Christians worship demons as they assemble their family, not at the altar, they assemble their family for the video or for the television. And so in the home, we now have the assembly to worship a false god. Where we assemble, that is called church. So as we begin to look at this New Testament church, let's be clear about where we're assembling and when we're assembling, and how we're assembling. Jesus said, chapter 1, he was eating with them, in verse 4, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. And this word command mean, is, is a military term. He gave an order. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The word baptize is from the Greek word baptizo, and it means to be totally immersed under it. So Jesus is saying, you are going to be brought into a baptism where you are going to be completely submerged. And that will be called the baptism of the Spirit. Now we, as a congregation, have not received this baptism. He said, wait in Jerusalem. Now, look at verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus is saying something is going to happen in the assembly. Where you are assembled together, something is going to happen. It's going to be so awesome and so powerful that it will take you out of Jerusalem into Samaria. 
and into the uttermost parts of the earth. In other words, you're going to be traveling. Now, let's go to verse 14. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary and the mother of Jesus with his brothers. Let's take that apart so that we can understand what was really going on in that assembly. They all joined together. That word, joined together, in the King James Version, it says they were of one accord. Joined together in the Greek literally means with one mind. With one mind. Complete harmony of views and feelings. No schisms, no divided interests, no discordant purposes, no lukewarmness. They joined together, they came and they became one together constantly, which means persevering, total attention, no diversions. In prayer and many manuscripts, and the King James reflects this, in prayer and supplication, the NIV doesn't do that because the NIV says the, one, the two words used there are both meaning the same thing, prayer. That's not true. They're missing a nuance. To, to pray is simply to make a request. To bring supplication means with ardent affection and earnest desire. Come and plead for mercy from God. Some of you kids know exactly what I'm talking about. You can go to dad and say, dad, can I have? No, you can't have. Dad, can I go over? No, you can't go. We're going to have supper. And then you know what it's like to go to dad and say, dad, if, we, if I can't have this, I'm going to die. Look, I've got to have this. This is the most important thing to me in the whole world. And dad begins to be bent around their finger. Well, you know, you're going to have to talk to your mom. Don't send me to mom. Mom will say no. Dad, please, for the next week, I'll do. I mean, Dad, whatever you want, I have to have it. You know what I'm talking about? Prayer, supplication. I mean, you're not going to quit asking. You're not going to turn away. You have ardent desire. You have passion. And you're saying, I've got to have this. This is my life. That's how they came in this New Testament church. Now, I want you to see something. They were of one mind, and that one mind and that one heart was not brought about by the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet been poured out. So what was it that brought them together in one mind if it was not the poured out power of the Holy Spirit? Well, let's go to the scriptures. I want to share this with you. Let's go to Ephesians. You're going to keep your finger in Acts. Go to Ephesians, the second chapter. As for you, 
You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Look, he's saying, if you've come to the church, you don't live that way anymore. That's not who you are. You used to be that way. You're not that way anymore. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Now, wait a minute. Who's he talking to? To the church. That when I assemble with the body of Christ, I am seated at the right hand of the Father. I have been raised up with the body into the presence of Jesus. So there is power there for the breaking of bondages that is not present when I am not with the assembly of God's people. So when you are by yourself, the devil can get at you in a more powerful way than he can get at you when you are a part of an assembled body. That we have been lifted up and seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Verse 8, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we have been raised up and seated with Christ in a heavenly place in order to do the work of the cross. Now let me just try to clarify some theology to make certain that all of you are with me in this. We do not gain salvation by our works. We gain salvation by seeing that Jesus on the cross did a completed work of atonement. And that provision of that work, I now claim for my own. I don't earn it. I can't earn it. It is a gift freely given to me. And when I claim that free provision for my sin, I repent of my sin, the blood of Jesus then comes and cleanses me of all unrighteousness. Now the problem is this. We want to come to church. You notice? We want to come to church. We don't want to be the church. Because if we are the church, there is no room for continued pursuit of the ways of the world. We are the called out ones. And so if I'm going to leave this house and I'm going to go sin against God, I want to say I've been to church. But now I have another choice. Now I can play with sin. Because this is just about me. The scriptures don't teach us that. The devil does. 
When you leave here today, you are the church. You are the body of Christ. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And you can't take your body out and join it together with sin, because if you do, you are joining Christ to sin. You can't do that. If you do, you separate yourself from Jesus. And you cease being a part of his body. And you'll go to hell. Some of you may be playing with the idea that you want to go to hell. I have met people on occasion who simply right up front and boldly to my face say, I do not want the way of Jesus. I want the way of darkness. Now I must tell you I have respect for them. I would rather they take that kind of posture than come into the body of Christ and be an Achan and pretend that they're going to follow Jesus, but they're not interested. I want you to come into the body of Christ with whatever sin you have in your heart. I want you to come and be totally willing to let Jesus Christ, through his finished work on the cross, break that bondage from you, break that depression from you, break that despair from you, and set you free so that you walk in the fullness of the body of Jesus Christ. You don't have to be perfect to be a part of his body. Sometimes my hand is not perfect. Sometimes I'm getting a little bit of arthritis in this one part of my hand, and it'll just hurt. Well, what I, you know, should I cut my hand off? No. Go soak your hand in hot water. Some of you just need a good soak in hot water. Because you're sick. Your spirit is sick. You've been playing with the devil. And the poison of the devil has gotten into your heart. We don't want to cut you off. We want to throw you in the pot of water and put the salt in and and let that hot salt water pull that poison out. Do you follow what I'm saying? Look at this passage in Ephesians. It's clear in verse 12. You were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope, without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you have, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. In other words, there is one thing that unites us, and it is not the Holy Spirit. It is Jesus Christ. Unity in the body of Christ is found through the new birth. So if you are not at unity with the body of Christ, you need to be born again. And as you're born again, that means you accept what Jesus Christ did for you. You confess your sins. You turn away from that path that will take you to hell, that path that will destroy your family. You turn to Jesus and you let Jesus restore you by his blood. Then we're at unity once more. The body of Christ is always divided by doctrines. It is always united by Jesus. You don't have to be of one mind with me. You have to be of one mind with Jesus. And then we'll be of one mind. Please notice Ephesians, the first chapter, verse 22. 
God placed all things under his feet, that is Jesus, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And so our unity is found in Jesus Christ, not in hammering out a statement of belief. Look in chapter 3, verse 10. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. In other words, Jesus has been appointed as the head of all things. It's Jesus that brings us into unity. It's Jesus who flows through His Spirit. Creation was not done at the command of the Holy Spirit. Creation was done at the command of Jesus. The Holy Spirit moved over the darkness at the command of Jesus and brought forth creation. Colossians, the first chapter. Hebrews, the first chapter. John, the first chapter. Those are the three great statements in Scripture about Jesus. So we don't want to get high on the Holy Spirit and low on Jesus. And as a church, we don't want to get high on the Holy Spirit and low on the church. We want to be high on Jesus as His church under the power of the Holy Spirit. And so this unity that's being spoken of here in the first church is a unity that came about because of Jesus. Is there any sin in your heart that has prevented you from making your peace with Jesus Christ? If there is, you're being called out of that thing today to be a part of the assembly in unity with Jesus Christ. Jesus is going to watch every action you take when you leave this house. He's going to watch the attitudes of your heart and the attitudes of your mind. He's going to watch how you walk. And He wants you to walk before Him and be blameless. Jesus says, no more excuses, no more games. Straight up, do you intend to follow Jesus? If you intend to follow Jesus, then follow Jesus. The great cry throughout the ages has always been, choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And the people said to Joshua, hey, we'll serve the Lord too. And he said, no, you can't serve the Lord. And today I'm just hearing in the spirit to say to some of you, you can't serve the Lord. You can't serve the Lord. Now follow the story. The people say, yes, we'll follow Jesus. And Joshua says, if you really are serious and you really are saying you're going to follow the Lord, then let's get all the idols out. Let's throw the idols away and then let's see if you'll follow Jesus. Jesus is saying this. I'm asking for people who will once and for all step over the line and say, I will serve the Lord, and I will let my idols go. That's simple, isn't it? 
Jesus is the deliverer. It's in Jesus we find unity. Go with me to the next step. These men and women came together with a clear understanding that Jesus had commanded them to assemble because they were to expect power. Now, what I'm saying to you is so radical because I'm saying that if the National Prayer Chapel will model itself after what Jesus Christ established in the first church, we'll get the same results the first church got. If we will assemble ourselves and let the searching work of the Spirit be done in our hearts, if we will come as one mind and one heart, not forsaking assembling ourselves together, if we will come of one mind, we will get the same result, the same power will be poured out. I want you to look, Hebrews, the 10th chapter, outlines the way a man or a woman falls away from the way of Jesus Christ. Verse 22, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. In other words, as we come into the presence of God, we confess our sins, we turn away from our sins, and we commit to Jesus that we won't walk in that sin any longer. His blood washes and cleanses and purifies, right? Verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Okay, let's be real clear. You wake up this morning and you say, you know, I've got a heavy day and my week is going to be big. I think I won't, you know, I'm just too tired. I'm not going to go to assemble myself with the body. You just took the first step toward apostasy. You took the first step away from Jesus. You chose to separate yourself from the body and speak about church as someplace where you go instead of somebody that you are. So when you choose not to assemble with the body, and I'm not speaking now about the National Prayer Chapel. I'm speaking about the body of Christ, wherever it is formed. When you choose to separate yourself from the body where you have been called by the Spirit of the living God, you are stepping away from Jesus, and you are opening your heart to a demonic attack. It's the discipline of assembling ourselves together that breaks the notion that we are independent people and can go do and be what we want and then go back and catch the hamburger at church. You can't do it. We're called into unity of one mind where we assemble together and our whole lives then center around what Jesus is doing out of the assembly. We come to assemble. We are the 
church. We are the called out ones. And if you choose to say, I am not going to assemble, you are saying, I am not a part of the body. But rather, I just catch the body when I can. Now, the reason it's so easy not to assemble with the body is because we don't understand what our job is. What would you think today if I were preaching without my right hand? And I were to say to you, no, don't worry about my right hand. I just detached it because it thought it wanted to go shopping today. You know, you'd say, that hand is dead. It's cut off. The language that Jesus uses about the church is always organic and not organizational. He speaks of us as a body. Now, let's go to Pentecost. It means 50 days after the Sabbath of Passover. So when Passover comes and there's a Sabbath associated, or the next Sabbath after Passover, you count 50 days from that date, and that day is Pentecost. Now, why would Jesus choose to send the Holy Spirit on Pentecost? Well, when you look in the Scriptures, you find that the Feast of Pentecost was also referred to as the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of First Fruits. But among the Jews, it was called something else. It was called the Feast of the Joy of the Law. Pentecost was established by God to commemorate the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. And when the law was given on Mount Sinai, it was given with thunder, it was given with lightning, with awesome power. But on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was given with wind and with fire. Why? Well, go with me to the book of Galatians, the fifth chapter, beginning with verse 16. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery. You know what debauchery is. Any good thing taken to excess. Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, 
peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And you notice it does not say, and the fruits of the Spirit. This is all one fruit. You get all this. It's one enchilada. You bite into a Christian and you bite into love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. You bite into the whole deal and the flavor's all there and the flavor is Jesus. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. But especially verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. Let me try to make this clear. If you are not led by the Spirit of the living God, you are under the law. Whether you want to admit it or not, you can go live any way you want to live, but the law is going to condemn you and justify God in sending you to hell. Every man and every woman in the world is under the law of God unless they are under the Pentecost. And at the Pentecost, we no longer commemorate the coming of the law. We commemorate the coming of Jesus in the Spirit. And we live then under the Spirit as called out ones. And so now you don't live as an individual anymore. That's the big American deal. It's not the big Holy Spirit deal. You now are knit together with every other person in the body who has come to unity of mind in committing their whole life to Jesus Christ. And here there's no black or white, yellow or green. It's all one color. It's red. It's the blood of Jesus. There's not male nor female. There's not Greek or Hebrew. There is one new person called the church. And so God takes, Jesus takes this 120 people and he puts his arms around them and he carries them over here to Jerusalem and he puts a bomb in the city. And that bomb is going to explode. And when that bomb explodes, it's going to crack that city wide open. And it will never be the same. And that bomb will finally destroy Jerusalem and burn it to the ground. The Romans would not have ever come against Jerusalem had it not been for Jesus on the cross had it not been for the church, had it not been for the Holy Spirit coming. So now, Jesus wants Washington, D.C. Because God is calling for an assembly of people that he plans to use as a bomb in the city of Washington, D.C. to crack this city wide open. And when we assemble, what's the first thing we do? We pray because the church is a prayer meeting. What were the 120? Didn't they assemble and pray? 
Their work was prayer. The reason we assemble is to pray. And because we pray, we sing praises of worship. And because we pray, the Lord anoints a voice to speak for the body. Now, I hope you're beginning to catch that Jesus wants to do something in a city that the newspapers are going to write about. Jesus is the newsmaker. He's going to crack the city open. And he's going to do it by using a people who will pray. Not a people who wants to be somebody. Not a people who want to hitch themselves to something that's successful. You know, Pastor Ray looks like he's a go-getter. Let's get with him. We'll be somebody. No, I can guarantee you, if you get with me, you're going to be nobody. Because Jesus is the somebody here. Jesus is the one we lift up here. Well, you best get with a body somewhere, else you're going to be cut apart and spread over the world. You've got to get somewhere. And you better get where Jesus is trying to assemble a people that he intends to use to do something. Now, I'm not saying to you today that this is the only church that's going to be a bomb in Washington. I pray that there are bombs that go off all over the city. But God doesn't come to the church. He comes to the church. He comes to a people who've prepared their hearts to be vessels of the Holy Spirit. God just wants a little group of people who will utterly empty their hearts out before Jesus so that there's room for an infilling of His presence and of His Holy Spirit power. It's here that He said to come. It's here that He said He was going to move. It's here that He's going to release His power. And I want to be where He wants me to be. I don't want to miss it. How would you feel if you'd been a part of the congregation of 120? And on the day the Holy Spirit came, there'd been 119 there. I can't imagine it. Now, I recognize that there are times when the Lord is going to send you to other places and other responsibilities. Those are the exception and not the rule. Because your heart is to be one with the body of Christ as it's expressed in real people, people who are praying. Because victory over sin is found in the assembled body of Christ praying together. And so this individualistic consumption of religion has to be broken in our hearts so that we're no longer lone rangers traveling through life trying to suck up some truth where we can find it. We've got to finally settle ourselves in one place with one people and wait on the Holy Spirit to bring His power. That's why I'm here to be settled in this place, to covenant before God that I will wait for His power. And when that happens, the bomb will go off in Washington, D.C. Now, after the powerful anointing at Pentecost, do you notice what happened? Everybody in the congregation started to shout and praise God, and everybody spoke in a different tongue because there were many different kinds of people that had to hear Now, what I want you to see is that the mouthpiece went to everybody. 
and they were all speaking out of the body. On the day of Pentecost, everybody was a mouth. And then the Holy Spirit chose Peter, and he began to speak out of the body. Do you have anything to say today out of the body? Or would you be speaking out of your own lonely soul? Would you be speaking out of your own bitter struggle with sin? Do you have a testimony today of victory in the body? Washington, D.C. will never be cracked with individuals coming and doing a dog and pony show. How many times have we gone down to the mall and seen the million men march and seen this affair and that activity, and I get these announcements all the time. Pastor, we got to rally your people. We're going to come to D.C. Would you serve on this committee, and will you do No, I won't. Pastor, we've raised money from all over the country to come to D.C. Stay home. Stay home. Don't come. You bother us. You irritate the devil, and you irritate us. Stay home. Now, I don't mean to be hard. I'm saying somewhere we've got to become the body of Christ in Washington, D.C. And we've got to wait on God for the infilling of the Holy Ghost so that he'll tell us how to assemble in the city. We don't need a flow chart to lay out a marketing strategy to take Washington for Jesus. We've got to have the Holy Spirit strategy for taking Washington, D.C. There has to come a new one-mindedness in Jesus that says, I'm going to focus on the one issue, and that is getting absolutely clean by the blood of Jesus so that Jesus can use this vessel to pour out for the city of Washington. And even as I say that, I see on some of your faces an expression that says, you know, but what about my agenda? Lose it. What about my plans? Cancel them. What about my concerns? Let them go. Jesus is calling for a people who will come and function as a body under the one headship of Jesus Christ and who will wait patiently for the pouring out of the Holy Ghost. Without the Holy Ghost, we don't have anything. We're dead in the water. We've got a, we've got a huge BMW. Beautiful. But it's got no gas. The Holy Spirit has to come. Some of you have been struggling with sin, and you've been succumbing to that sin. It's been taking you captive. I can tell you why. Because your focus is on your own issues and your own agenda and your own problems instead of focusing on what Jesus is calling you to focus on, and that's his face. And to be unified in Jesus. And to let all these things go that hang on us, that that grab at us. Cast them off. And come as one body and don't be casual about coming in here anymore. It's dangerous for your health. When you come in here, you better put on your your crash helmet. You better buckle up because you're in for a ride when the Holy Spirit shows up. You're going to travel from Washington, D.C. to the ends of the earth. Now, some of you are saying, Pastor, has this ever happened anywhere? Oh, has this happened? 
every major advance that the body of Christ has made in the last 2,000 years has happened because of the coming power of the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, thousands are added to the body of Christ. It happened in Wales, where they cried, Oh God, bend us and save the world. And God bent them and saved the world. The shop yards, the shipyards, they had to finally make an announcement and say, please don't bring back anything else you've stolen because we don't have any place to put it. All of our warehouses are full of what you've already returned. (laughs) Crime went to zero. The jails were empty. The policemen had no work. The courts were empty in Wales. Literally, they closed down because there was no one to take to court. Power of God comes. Everything changes. You can tell if real revival has come to Washington by what the police chief has to say. If we haven't affected the crime rate, we haven't done anything yet. So we've been very concerned about personal piety, my struggle with sin. I'm saying today as a body... Let's let go of that. Don't make any more excuses for your sin. Let's grow up. Let's get focused on what Jesus has called us to do and to be. Let's let go of the dramas we like to create in order to justify our sin. Any of you create any dramas this week? Some of you say, no, I wonder what the kids would say. I wonder what your wife would say. I wonder what your husband would say. I mean, some of your homes have been filled with drama that could have been For TV, yelling, screaming, fighting. I just hear Jesus saying, hey, it's over. Stop. Stop. Cast it aside in the name of Jesus and believe that it's cast aside. Lord God, I pray that right now you will cause in every heart here that hope to suddenly spring up, that they will not be disappointed by the Holy Spirit that, Lord, you will send the Holy Spirit and that things will be different, that we're not going to always be stuck in this place of sin and darkness, that, Lord, we just cast ourselves at your feet now as a a fellowship and say, Jesus, this is your church. You assemble here who you choose. Whomever it is, Jesus, assemble here whom you have chosen. And we pray at least for 120 to come and pray with us. Lord, we're just believing you for 120 people to come and be assembled at the coming of the Holy Spirit. But Lord, if there's not 120, we'll just be a smaller bomb. Lord, no matter how many there are, even if Jan and I are alone, we've already covenanted that we're going to keep coming. But Lord, I know we won't be alone because you said if you come to Woodbridge, you won't sink. So Jesus, we just stand on your promises today that in one day the National Prayer Chapel would be birthed. I know, Lord, that can only happen by the explosive power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195, 
or visit us online at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you. One heart, one spirit, one voice to praise you. We are the body of Christ. One goal, one vision to see Yeah.